0: This is Section 19 of Mark Twain: A Biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain: A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne, Volume 1, Part 1, to 1866, Chapter 19, In the Footsteps of Franklin. He went to St. Louis by the night boat, visited his sister Pamela, and found a job in the composing room of the Evening News. He remained on the paper only long enough to earn money with which to see the world. The world was New York City, where the Crystal Palace Fair was then going on. The railway had been completed by this time, but he had not traveled on it. It had not many comforts. Several days and nights were required for the New York trip, yet it was a wonderful and beautiful experience. He felt that even Pet McMurray could hardly have done anything to surpass it. He arrived in New York with two or three dollars in his pocket, and a ten-dollar bill concealed in the lining of his coat. New York was a great and amazing city. It almost frightened him. It covered the entire lower end of Manhattan Island. Visionary citizens boasted that one day it would cover it all. The world's fair building, the Crystal Palace, stood a good way out. It was where Bryant Park is now, on 42nd Street and 6th Avenue. Young Clemens classed it as one of the wonders of the world, and wrote lavishly of its marvels. A portion of a letter to his sister Pamela has been preserved, and is given here not only for what it contains, but as the earliest existing specimen of his composition. The fragment concludes what was doubtless an exhaustive description. From the gallery, second floor, You have a glorious sight, the flags of the different countries represented, the lofty dome, glittering jewelry, gaudy tapestry, etc., with the busy crowd passing to and fro. Tis a perfect fairy palace, beautiful beyond description. The machinery department is on the main floor, but I cannot enumerate any of it on account of the lateness of the hour past one o'clock. It would take more than a week to examine everything on exhibition, and I was only in a little over two hours to-night. I only glanced at about one-third of the articles, and having a poor memory, I have enumerated scarcely any of even the principal objects. The visitors to the palace average six thousand daily, double the population of Hannibal. The price of admission being fifty cents, they take in about three thousand dollars. The latting observatory height about 280 feet is near the palace. From it you can obtain a grand view of the city and the country around. The Croton Aqueduct to supply the city with water is the greatest wonder yet. Immense sewers are laid across the bed of the Hudson River and pass through the country to Westchester County where a whole river is turned from its course and brought to New York. From the reservoir in the city to the Westchester County Reservoir, the distance is 38 miles, and, if necessary, they could easily supply every family in New York with 100 barrels of water per day. I am very sorry to learn that Henry has been sick. He ought to go to the country and take exercise, for he is not half so healthy as Ma thinks he is. If he had my walking to do, he would be another boy entirely. Four times every day I walk a little over a mile and working hard all day and walking four miles is exercise. I am used to it now, though, and it is no trouble. Where is it Orion's going to? Tell Ma my promises are faithfully kept, and if I have my health, I will take her to Kentucky in the spring. I shall save money for this. Tell Jim, Wolf, and all the rest of them to write, and give me all the news. It has just struck 2 a.m., and I always get up at 6, and am at work at 7. You ask where I spend my evenings. Where would you suppose, with a free printer's library containing more than four thousand volumes within a quarter of a mile of me, and nobody at home to talk to." Write soon, truly your brother, Sam. P.S. I have written this by a light so dim that you nor Ma could not read by it. Write, and let me know how Henry is. It is a good letter. It is direct and clear in its descriptive quality, and it gives us a scale of things. Double the population of Hannibal visited the Crystal Palace in one day, and the water to supply the city came a distance of thirty-eight miles. Doubtless these were amazing statistics. Then there was the interest in family affairs, always strong, his concern for Henry, whom he loved tenderly, his memory of the promise to his mother his understanding of her craving to visit her old home. He did not write to her direct, for the reason that Orion's plans were then uncertain, and it was not unlikely that he had already found a new location. From this letter, too, we learn that the boy who detested school was reveling in a library of four thousand books, more than he had ever seen together before. We have somehow the feeling that he had all at once stepped from boyhood to manhood and that the separation was marked by a very definite line the work he had secured was in cliff street in the printing establishment of john a gray and green who agreed to pay him four dollars a week and did pay that amount in wildcat money which saved them from twenty five per cent of the sum he lodged at a mechanics boarding-house in duane street and when he had paid his board and washing he sometimes had as much as fifty cents to lay away. He did not like the board. He had been accustomed to the Southern mode of cooking, and wrote home complaining that New Yorkers did not have hot bread or biscuits, but ate light bread, which they allowed to get stale, seeming to prefer it in that way. On the whole, there was not much inducement to remain in New York after he had satisfied himself with its wonders. He lingered, however, through the hot months of 1853, and found it not easy to go. In October he wrote to Pamela, suggesting plans for Orion, also for Henry and Jim Wolfe, whom he seems never to have overlooked. Among other things, he says, "'I have not written to any of the family for some time, from the fact, firstly, that I didn't know where they were, and secondly, because I have been fooling myself with the idea that I was going to leave New York every day for the last two weeks. I have taken a liking to the abominable place, and every time I get ready to leave, I put it off a day or so from some unaccountable cause. I think I shall get off Tuesday, though. Edwin Forrest has been playing for the last sixteen days at the Broadway Theater, but I never went to see him till last night. The play was The Gladiator. I did not like parts of it much, but other portions were really splendid. In the latter part of the last act, where the gladiator, Forrest, dies at his brother's feet, in all the fierce pleasure of gratified revenge, the man's whole soul seems absorbed in the part he is playing, and it is really startling to see him. I am sorry I did not see him play Damon and Pythias the former character being the greatest, he appears in Philadelphia on Monday night. I have not received a letter from home lately, but got a journal the other day, in which I see the office has been sold. If my letters do not come often, you need not bother yourself about me, for if you have a brother nearly eighteen years of age who is not able to take care of himself a few miles from home such a brother is not worth one's thoughts and if i don't manage to take care of number one be assured you will never know it i am not afraid however I shall ask favors of no one, and endeavor to be, and shall be, as independent as a Wood Sawyer's clerk. Passage to Albany, a hundred and sixty miles, on the finest steamers that ply the Hudson, is now twenty-five cents, cheap enough, but is generally cheaper than that in the summer." I have been fooling myself with the idea that I was going to leave New York," is distinctly a Mark Twain phrase. He might have said that fifty years later. He did go to Philadelphia presently, and found work subbing on a daily paper, The Inquirer. He was a fairly swift compositor. He could set ten thousand m's a day, and he received pay according to the amount of work done days or evenings when there was no vacant place for him to fill he visited historic sites the art galleries and the libraries he was still acquiring education you see sometimes at night when he returned to his boarding-house his roommate, an englishman named sumner grilled a herring and this was regarded as a feast he tried his hand at writing in philadelphia though this time without success For some reason he did not again attempt to get into the post, but offered his contributions to the Philadelphia ledger, mainly poetry of an obituary kind. Perhaps it was burlesque—he never confessed that—but it seems unlikely that any other obituary poetry would have failed of print. "'My efforts were not received with approval,' was all he ever said of it afterward. There were two or three characters in the inquirer office whom he did not forget. One of these was an old compositor who had held a case in that office for many years. His name was Frog, and sometimes when he went away the office devils would hang a line over his case with a hook on it, baited with a piece of red flannel. They never got tired of this joke, and Frog was always able to get as mad over it as he had been in the beginning another old fellow there furnished amusement he owned a house in the distant part of the city and had an abnormal fear of fire now and then when everything was quiet except the clicking of the types some one would step to the window and say with a concerned air doesn't that smoke or that light if it was evening seem to be in the northwestern part of the city or there go the fire-bells again and away the old man would tramp up to the roof to investigate. It was not the most considerate sport, and it is to be feared that Sam Clemens had his share in it. He found that he liked Philadelphia, he could save a little money there, for one thing, and now and then sent something to his mother, small amounts, but welcome and gratifying, no doubt. In a letter to Orion, whom he seems to have forgiven with absence, written October 26th, he encloses a gold dollar to buy her a handkerchief, and to serve as a specimen of the kind of stuff we are paid with in Philadelphia. Further along he adds, unlike New York, I like this Philadelphia amazingly, and the people in it. There is only one thing that gets my dander up, and that is The hands are always encouraging me, telling me it's no use to get discouraged, no use to be downhearted, for there is more work here than you can do." Downhearted, the devil! I have not had a particle of such a feeling since I left Hannibal more than four months ago. I fancy they'll have to wait some time till they see me downhearted or afraid of starving while I have strength to work, and am in a city of 400,000 inhabitants. When I was in Hannibal, before I had scarcely stepped out of the town limits, nothing could have convinced me that I would starve as soon as I got a little way from home." He mentions the grave of Franklin in Christ Churchyard with its inscription, Benjamin and Deborah Franklin, and one is sharply reminded of the similarity between the early careers of Benjamin Franklin and Samuel Clemens. Each learned the printer's trade. Each worked in his brother's printing office and wrote for the paper each left quietly and went to new york and from new york to philadelphia as a journeyman printer each in due season became a world figure many-sided human and of incredible popularity the foregoing letter ends with a long description of a trip made on the fairmont stage it is a good vivid description impressions of a fresh sensitive mind set down with little effort at fine writing. A letter to convey literal rather than literary enjoyment. The Wire Bridge, Fairmount Park and Reservoir, new buildings, all these passed in review. A fine residence about completed impressed him. It was built entirely of great blocks of red granite. The pillars in front were all finished but one these pillars were beautiful ornamental fluted columns considerably larger than a hogshead at the base and about as high as clappinger's second-story front windows to see some of them finished and standing and then the huge blocks lying about looks so massy and carries one in imagination to the ruined piles of ancient Babylon. I despise the infernal bogus brick columns plastered over with mortar. Marble is the cheapest building-stone about Philadelphia. There is a flavor of the innocence about it, then a little further along. I saw small steamboats with their signs up, For Wissahickon and Manayunk. 25 cents. George Lippard, in his Legends of Washington and his generals, has rendered the Wissahickon sacred in my eyes, and I shall make that trip as well as one to Germantown soon. There is one fine custom observed in Philadelphia. A gentleman is always expected to hand up a lady's money for her yesterday i sat in the front end of the bus directly under the driver's box a lady sat opposite me she handed me her money which was right but lord a st louis lady would think herself ruined if she should be so familiar with a stranger In St. Louis, a man will sit in the front end of the stage and see a lady stagger from the far end to pay her fare. There are two more letters from Philadelphia, one of November 28th to Orion, who by this time had bought a paper in Muscatine, Iowa, and located the family there, and one to Pamela dated December 5th. Evidently Orion had realized that his brother might be of value as a contributor, for the latter says, I will try to write for the paper occasionally, but I fear my letters will be very uninteresting, for this incessant night-work dulls one's ideas amazingly. I believe I am the only person in the inquirer office that does not drink. One young fellow makes $18 for a few weeks and gets on a grand bender and spends every cent of it. How do you like free soil? I would like amazingly to see a good old-fashioned negro. My love to all. Truly your brother." sam in the letter to pamela he is clearly homesick i only want to return to avoid night work which is injuring my eyes is the excuse but in the next sentence he complains of the scarcity of letters from home and those not written as they should be one only has to leave home to learn how to write interesting letters to an absent friend," he says, and, in conclusion, I don't like our present prospect for cold weather at all. He had been gone half a year, and the first attack of home-longing for a boy of his age was due. The novelty of things had worn off. It was coming on winter. Changes had taken place among his home-people and friends. The life he had known best and longest was going on and he had no part in it. Leaning over his case, he sometimes hummed, An exile from home, splendor dazzles in vain. He weathered the attack and stuck it out for more than a half a year longer. In January, when the days were dark and he grew depressed, he made a trip to Washington to see the sights of the capital. His stay was comparatively brief, and he did not work there he returned to Philadelphia, working for a time on the ledger and North American. Finally he went back to New York. There are no letters of this period. His second experience in New York appears not to have been recorded, and in later years was only vaguely remembered. It was late in the summer of 1854 when he finally set out on his return to the West. His wander had lasted nearly fifteen months. He went directly to St. Louis, sitting up three days and nights in a smoking car to make the journey. He was worn out when he arrived, but stopped there only a few hours to see Pamela. It was his mother he was anxious for. He took the Keokuk packet that night, and flinging himself on his berth, slept the clock three times around, scarcely rousing or turning over, only waking at last at Muscatine. For a long time, that missing day confused his calculations. When he reached Orion's house, the family sat at breakfast. He came in carrying a gun. They had not been expecting him, and there was a general outcry and a rush in his direction. He warded them off, holding the butt of the gun in front of him. You wouldn't let me buy a gun, he said, so I bought one myself, and I'm going to use it now in self-defense you sam you sam cried jane clemens behave yourself for she was wary of a gun then he had had his joke and gave himself into his mother's arms End of chapter nineteen in the footsteps of franklin read by john greenman